good evening, everybody. Welcome to the February 10th, uh, 2021 uh, Board of Trustees meeting. Um, we'll open up with a roll call. Madam Clerk. Trustee Bouquet. Present. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Blue is absent today. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Fox. Trustee is Fox here. Is and Trustee, yeah, he is here. He's just on mute. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. With that, we'll go to public comment. Uh, we have one submission for public comment, and we welcome back Miss Ariana Casanova. I don't see Ariana. Does anyone? Uh, I'm Ariana, on here. Can you sorry, back? Ariana, I'm, oh. just, I'm scanning for you. I just can't see you. Yeah, I'm oh, there here. You are. Got it. Welcome, Good evening, Ariana. everyone. Thank you. Uh, three, three minutes on the clock, if okay with you, Ariana. Thank you. Sure. So, good evening, Board of Trustees. Um, Ariana Casanova, field rep, SEIU 10 to 1. I represent everything besides Highland. Um, so I wanted to, again, share some advances with AHS leadership in a pathway to move forward in regarding um, IOP and a wellness center model. The union and AHS leadership are moving towards and in somewhat of an agreement. Obviously, there's always details and we'll be negotiating, negotiating some of those moving forward. Um, one is have IOP go back under John George Psychiatry as is, it was previously under John George in the fall of 2019. So I share this and it was transitioned in ambulatory in early 2020. Um, since a lot of you are new, there's an assumption that it's always been under ambulatory and it was not, it was under John George Psychiatry. And so that's the first position. There's an urgent need to fix the severe issues of registration, EPIC, finance and billing, which I'll go into a little bit more after um, these comments, um, we must resolve those immediately. The second position is HS needs a wellness center model, which requires negotiations with Alameda County for a signed agreement to serve Medi-Cal and have some seed money to begin establishing this program. The union fully supports and working with leadership and the trustees and making it come alive with Alameda County. We are about expanding more services to the most needy in our community. And there's a high need in this area. So we're happy to partner with you all to make sure that that advances and that we make that come alive. And in the last finance committee meeting, um, there was an assertion that there was no issues of billing or finance, um, which is quite the contrary. Due to the problems um, in Epic that originated in the failure to build in or build out um, in the rollout in the behavior health IOP, um, there, it, it, they didn't, for whatever reason, my assumption is because it was under John George, then it was transitioned into um, ambulatory. They never built or rolled that out in the fall of 2019, which is when it was under John George. And when Epic rolled out, it was restructured and sent under ambulatory in 2020. So currently, um, the current structure does not recognize the bill issues for IOP behavioral health codes or the multiple visits that happen per day. And that continues to um, adding additional work that needs to be done to correct over a year and several months of errors in the EPIC building process. Um, and, you know, I'd like to report that regardless how difficult that's been and that we don't have a clear number of utilization, we don't have a clear number 
of money that we should be re re getting reimbursed daily. Um, that needs to be resolved so that we can move forward and make that whole. There has been progress made um, in identifying the issues. And now we do have Epic working on it. We also have um, Marina Moreno, who's from registration, ambulatory working on it, who used to be a 10 to 1 member. And so we're identifying those and we're moving. We meet with Dr. Weiss tomorrow to continue moving forward and working and resolving some of these issues. And we look forward to working with all of you and ensuring that IOP and a wellness model um, serves our communities in the near future. Thank you. Ms. Casanova, thank you for your, your comments. And I'll remind uh, the public and the trustees, uh, it's our we do not respond directly to public comment, but we are in uh, thankful receipt of it. So with that, I, I, the, there are no other uh, slated items for public comment. So we will move into our session. Let's open up with item A, the executive officer's report. And um, this is gonna be the first time where we introduce a concept which we've previously had in QPSC for the past three years, where we're gonna try to help our learnings together, uh, shared learnings as trustees, as an organization, as a public. So. We, we, we select an article. Uh, so I'm gonna briefly do this and then uh, I'll cede the chair to the uh, Vice President uh, Jensen and Secretary uh, Treasurer Esteen if they have any comments. The article selected for this executive's officer report is in your packet. It's entitled The Great Refounding. Uh, we actually discussed this article in QPSC last year sometime, but I think it's apropos given uh, where we are. And I'm gonna just read some highlights of this. Again, it is in your packet uh, for consumption, and I've just highlighted a few things that I'm gonna read for us. Today, we find ourselves at a moment without precedent. This amounts to a period of radical change in acute problems and needs that span all markets and all nations. This great reset represents both an existential crisis as well as an opportunity. It's a challenge that requires incredible leadership ambidexterity and flexibility. To succeed at this challenge, entire organizations need to do more than address changes in supply or demand or rebalance their operations. To succeed, leaders need to refound their business from the bottom up. They need to become refounders. Those who succeed at refounding their organization will go on to serve the world. Those who neglect to do so will become increasingly irrelevant. So what are some three re simple recommended steps for this? First, revalidate the customer need you are, are, are trying to uh, address. I think we know our quote customer need and our, our mission statement says it, caring, healing, teaching, serving all. Second, rediscover your proprietary gift for solving that need. Uh, we are the safety net system and this is what we do and, and, and generally speaking, we're pretty good at it. Uh, we need to rediscover that some, in many cases. Third, focus on dominating that need with our solution. So those are some of the recs. Last uh, in comments, how do, we, how do we achieve this? In order to do this, a leader must do two things. One, tell the truth. And two, ask for help. You can't sugarcoat things. You can't put an optimistic spin on things. Uh, hard lessons have, are learned with this style of leadership. If you re really want your company to rally around you and join you in refounding your business, you've got to lead with absolute truth. Here's where we are today, and this business could die if we don't do blank. 
then you need to explicitly ask for their help in serving our business and then refounding it. Those are some of the highlights. That's what I took from that. I'll open it up for comment if there isn't any on this article. Trustee Banerjee, you always have something great to say. <laughs> I think I, I found the part which said that when there's a crisis is sometimes a really good time for change because it shatters the bowl, it shatters the, uh, you know, it shatters everything and you have to rebuild. And I think, you know, I our organization in that same way. And I know that I'll be giving a very short um, update, but when we have a reset, it really is, um, you know, a, a, a huge reset like this gives an opportunity for a lot of uh, positive changes that sometimes would have been harder to do doing it in incremental ways. So mm -hmm. yeah, this resonated. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any other comments on the article? Trustee Dong. Um, thank you, uh, 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 Mr. Chair. I just want to add to um, Trustee Banerjee's comments. This article uh, made me think about kind of where we're at right now because we've had a mini crisis. We have a pandemic at the same time. We have an organizational uh, somewhat of a crisis and we're looking at uh, governance structures. So here we are reevaluating um, the clin you know, what we're going to do as an organization to serve our patients and how we balance the all the needs of the organization, especially the clinical and the operations. So I saw this article very pertinent to where we are as a system. Thank you, Trustee Dong. Any other further comments? Really briefly, I appreciate the article quite a bit and the symbolism. Um, there was one symbolic piece that I appreciated. It said, think of a marble resting in a bowl. Trying to change the organization is like flicking the marble. It will move around the bowl for a while, but most of the time it will settle back down to the bottom right where it started. And I think that's what we have to resist. As we go through this process through AHS, we have to resist settling back into the ways that took us to this moment. We have a ripe opportunity for change. And I think it is ours to do the best with. Or screw up. <laughs> well, I was leaving that part upset. <laughs> I appreciate you always, Trustee Esteem. With that, I'll close out my comments and I'll, and I'll cede uh, the comments to our Vice President, Trustee Jensen. Good evening, Trustee Jensen. You're on mute, Grace. Good evening. Um, thank you, Chair Bacat, and thank you, colleagues. I, uh, um, to the point that you're making into the article, I think this is an, actually an opportunity, and I think we have an opportunity for um, for improvement, and we have an opportunity for partnerships. And I wanted to take this opportunity to talk for a moment about um, about what our organization is doing in terms of the vaccination program. I want to appreciate our CEO and um, the rest of the organization for the the transparency and the updates in terms of the the restoration oversight committee and all of the information about the vaccination programs. I um, noted that Dr. Swift has joined the meeting, and um, I think that that we are really that's one of the things that we have been doing very well recently is sharing information, sharing information about 
the availability of supplies, about the availability of vaccines, about the the, the information with staff and with uh, as well as with our community about the vaccination program that we have in place. And I also want to um, point out, I, I appreciate the information being shared about the um, caseload and about the case, the the infection rates and the and the cases at all of our sites. So thank you for that. And and I think transparency is important. And with regard to partnerships, I also want to um, to point out and call out Dr. Swift and um, and CEO Jackson to uh, encourage and support the the partnership that's happening, hopefully in Alameda, to continue that to establish a a vaccination site in Alameda. I know there's work going on there with um, Dr. Swift and the mayor of Alameda, which and mayor mayor actually um, as the Ashcroft is going to be talking later this evening to um, the community about the vaccination task force and later on this week she also had a meeting last week about it so i think this is great and it's a great way to get to get the word out about alameda health system on the island so thank you for that and um, for all the hard work around everything that's going on in this crazy time thank you vice president jensen for your comments uh any comments with regard to trustee jensen all right, Secretary Treasurer Esteen, uh, we'll let you close up this agenda item for us. So much, um, you know, to the, the article that we read again in our new found mission, uh, I think rebuilding trust is where we are. Um, and, and rebuilding trust transparency is gonna be a, a huge undertaking that we have to address. Um, I'm looking forward to, during the QPSC meeting we had, was that last week? It feels like it was a year ago. Um, we had a brief discussion about nurse educators and the impact that they have on our institution. I'm really looking forward to a report back on that at uh, next month's or this month's QPSC. Um, and to this <clears throat> ongoing conversation around IOP, I would like to offer some assurance to all of our uh, partners here who are on the call tonight that we are working diligently as trustees with our new CEO and with uh, all the stakeholders to come forward with something that is going to be beneficial to all of our clients that we serve and to all of our workforce and stakeholders as we try to imagine what IOP can become and what a wellness center can be. Um, we are still analyzing the finances. We are still figuring out what may be best as we attempt to expand mental health service in Alameda County and through AHS. So we beg of your patience and I'll report out uh, during my finance chair report, uh, but just as a sneak preview, I think we may have a date for when we'll have a financial reporting on IOP that can help to inform the discussion more fully. So when we get to that part of the agenda, I will make that report then. Thank you, Secretary Treasurer. Uh, trustees, any comments for Trustee Esteen? Questions or comments for Trustee Esteen? Excellent. With that, we'll close out item A and we'll move into item B. And I'll remind everyone, this is the first full meeting um, uh, where we uh, get our interim CEO uh, and uh, in his position. So um, let us all again, re-welcome our interim CEO, uh, James Jackson, uh, and this will be his standing position for on, on our agenda. Mr. Jackson, good evening. Um, 
15 minutes plus minus have been allocated for this and I, I know, uh, but you take your time. Very good. Thank you very much, Chair. I thought when you were acknowledging that it was my first meeting, you were gonna say, be nice to him, but you didn't yes. go there, so. Be nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, Chair, trustees, staff, and members of the public. With the support of others, it is my pleasure to address you for the first time as the interim CEO of the Alameda Health System. I'd like to take this opportunity to address four topics in my allotted time, and I welcome you to ask questions. Now, if they'll keep until the end of the presentation, that's great, but if they're pressing, please, don't, please feel free to stop us to ask. The four topics will be a brief COVID vaccination update from Dr. Minnie Swift, governance, the top opportunities that I've seen in the two plus weeks that I've been in the role, and then I have a leadership team update to provide. So in regards to the first topic, the COVID vaccination update, I'd like to turn now to Dr. Minnie Swift. Dr. Swift, if you would please proceed. Sorry, I was talking and I was on mute. Can you hear me? Yes. Good evening. Thank you so much uh, for your support uh, and for the opportunity to present an update. I have a slide deck, which I um, submitted last Friday. Is it okay if I share my screen? Okay. So I know we're short on time. Um, today, I'd just like to review our allocation strategy, our role um, in the county strategy, and share, as usual, um, some brief allocation statistics. Here's that framework that many of you may be familiar with. Um, now, today in our county, we have moved into phase one, tier one. Um, um, in addition to healthcare workers, um, uh, we are we have moved into serving patients who are over 65 and who are essential workers. Um, we are well. I'll move forward. Here, um, this is a this is a diagram that was created by the Alameda County of Public Health, and I think it's a useful way of sharing and understanding the county's role and within the county's approach and within that our role in that. Approach. You can see as we move from left to right on the screen, um, there's really a two-prong approach. Um, at the top, um, there are pods that are going to be created. Some are already in existence, and these come in two flavors, mega and community pods. Um, the mega pods, as you may know, are the, um, the uh, pod that is scheduled to open at the Oakland Coliseum, which has been, um, will be run by the federal government that will be open sometime around February 16th. Another megapod has been opened um, at Golden Gate Fields in Berkeley, and a third is either open or planned at Alameda Fairgrounds. And so these are large pods in that they will be serving between five and 6,000 people a day. Um, the federal pod will um, be staffed with federal resources, staff and vaccine. Um, in parallel to that, um, community pods are now being opened. Um, these are smaller volume pods um, and um, orchestrated by the Department of Public Health. 
as we move down, um, the county strategy also takes into account the existing healthcare network and partners. So community healthcare centers, um, such as our FQHCs, hospitals, independent providers, pharmacies such as Walgreens and CVS have been providing vaccinations to patients in our long-term care facilities, and there are others. Um, so where does AHS fit into this? We fit into um, this area here, um, serving patients in our community health centers, and um, we have completed a lot of vaccinations for our hospital staff. The county also um, central to the California strategy and the county strategy is a concept of equity. And so here I share another map that has been presented by the Department of Public Health. Um, part of the strategy for these community pods, as we understand it, is to um, place them in the areas that have been um, hit the worst uh, by COVID. And you can see here specific zip codes. There's also another map that uses a healthy place index. The key here is that the county will start to open and has opened um, these pods and with, with an eye to equity, um, also leveraging partners in the community to provide um, resources, um, outreach. And um, we're seeing that in some of them, like the new, um, I think it's Fremont High School in Oakland that was opened, there even may be walk-in capability. Uh, capacity. It's important to note that these pods are also going to be open in the catchment areas of AHS. So in some cases, our patients may have the opportunity to go to a pod or come to an AHS site. So what does this mean for AHS? What is our vaccination strategy? So we may have shared some of our principles in the task force, but equity, safety, and alignment with our county partners is at the core. Um, moving forward now, our priority will be um, to continue to vaccinate our staff and we will move forward with vaccinating um, our AHS patients, um, first starting with uh, patients who are age 65 and older because three-fourths, unfortunately, three-fourths of the deaths from COVID are occurring in this um, age group. It has been so um, thrilling and humbling to see um, the response from our community and the multiple requests and inquiries that are coming in um, from multiple parts of the community seeking information to see if uh, people can acquire their vaccine at AHS. Um, and um, what it means for us is that we will continue to vaccinate our staff and patients. I'm um, showing here the... the um, language from the county communication because I wanted to be precise. Moving forward, eligible people who are covered by community health clinics, Kaiser or Sutter affiliates, should reach out to their health care providers first um, because that is the way in which all of these vaccines are going to continue to be distributed. Um, the public health pods and these megapods, um, the focus there will be for uninsured uh, people, um, people on Medi-Cal or, um, you know, people who don't have a, a regular source of care. And I've listed here the, um, the website that can be used to coordinate uh, appointments. Um, just briefly, our stats, um, AHS for our staffs. Currently, we have three clinic sites. We have seen that interest and in our volumes are going down. We have provided 6,790 vaccinations to our staff. Uh, we are going to move to consolidate the sites to avoid uh, wastage as our volume goes down and the mass vaccination portion 
of our um, staff program comes to a close as we move into business as usual. Um, we'll continue to provide vaccinations to our staff, uh, but we'll be consolidating the sites and we'll likely move to one clinic site for the system. In terms of AHS patients, um, Walgreens um, has been a great partner and we have uh, seen that approximately 80% of our patients in long-term care facilities um, have been, oh, I just got some new information, 86% of our patients have received their first dose and 60% have received their second dose. Walgreens will come back to our sites for a third time and then after that AHS, uh, we will take uh, over providing vaccinations for this patient population. I'm so excited to report as well that this week we, um, our ambulatory team pulled off the Herculean effort of establishing four additional uh, clinics across AHS um, for our patients. Um, to date, I've heard that approximately a little over 706 patients have been vaccinated and we are prioritizing patients who are over 65. Uh, once we um, reach, go through, you know, vaccinate or reach the majority of these patients will continue to uh, open access for other um, people who meet the current county criteria. Um, I mentioned, and I'm so sorry, my picture of the staff here did not come across. Um, I mentioned that interest in the vaccines is sort of coming down at the staff level. Um, now that we have um, the, had the ability to provide almost 7,000 vaccinations across, across our organization, uh, we are also launching new efforts to improve vaccine confidence. Um, we are going to start, a, um, the task force has been working on several initiatives. Um, these will include supplementing our um, FQHCs, perhaps continuing our weekly webinars and supporting town halls. But most importantly, we're very excited to say that we will be launching a series of personalized meetings across the organization um, to provide information to our staff and eventually patients, um, depending on the format, who may require a little bit more information. We would love for 100% of people to be vaccinated, uh, but we need to respect um, patient autonomy. And so what we would like to provide is increase information, myth-busting, and really facilitate informed consent so people can make the choice that is right for them. And with that, I'll stop. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Swift. Um, trustees, if there are pressing questions, we can address them now, or if they can keep until the end of my presentation, I will um, proceed. What's your What's your pleasure? Hearing Hearing nothing, um, I will proceed. So, I'd like to move to governance. Um, the governance reevaluation initiated by the Alameda County Board of Supervisors continues, and the supervisors remain focused on having a final recommendation by March of this year. The firm Health Management Associates has been engaged by the county and they are conducting their interviews with key internal and external stakeholders at this time. As you are all aware, the AHS Board of Trustees is actively involved in this process and there is a governance task force subcommittee chaired by Trustee Dong that is addressing this issue. Trustee Dong will address this further on in our agenda this evening, but I am working closely with the subcommittee to make sure that the opinions of the AHS staff are solicited and made available to the supervisors with the appropriate supporting rationale. I'm encouraged by the work of this subcommittee and I look forward to supporting their work to deliver an excellent product. 
Um, I'd like to talk about the top opportunities I've seen in the time that I've been in this interim CEO role. Um, I'd like to start by saying that I've been reminded in the brief time that I've been back of the amazing efforts that the staff of AHS makes every day to provide the best care possible. I am equally reminded that it is a must that we work smart as well as working hard and that we not waste or duplicate efforts. We will honor the hard work by breaking work silos and establishing synergies among individuals and work units that will result in better outcomes as well as increased work satisfaction. All voices will be recognized. I intend to expand the use of the lean methodology and to reinforce the integration of that methodology into all aspects of our work. This includes going to the GIMBA, which is making sure that leaders are present as much as possible at the front line where care is being delivered. To that end, I have initiated regular CEO visits to all AHS facilities, and I and our COO will be on site at least once a month at each AHS location. During that time, I will have time slots available for all staff who wish to have the opportunity to speak with me on any subject matter they choose. Stopping the line is another core tenet of lean, and that means that if something seems wrong or unsafe, any staff member can call the question and steps will be taken to address the issue as soon as possible. I realize this is easier said than done, but to achieve the quality of care and the level of trust our patients deserve, this is imperative. We will be emphasizing standard work. Standard work is a detailed definition of the current best practices for performing a process. Now the term current is key. It means that the standard isn't fixed and it should always be improved upon. Standard work drives continuous improvement as well as work consistency, and that will be the expectation for how this organization goes about its work every day. The AHS strategic plan is at the end of its projected term, and we will begin the work right now to create an updated plan. Via that plan, we will revisit, update, and clarify the organizational pillars and goals, and we will use tiered huddles to share the goals and objectives across the entire organization. My last topic is the leadership team. And I wanna take this opportunity to acknowledge Luis Fonseca, Chief Operating Officer who will be leaving AHS. In his five-year tenure, Luis was instrumental in a number of accomplishments that benefited AHS, our patients, staff, and the communities that we serve. As our operational leader, Luis led the development of the STAR Transformation and Reengineering, also known as STAR Team, to help us implement systematic process, process improvements to increase performance and efficiencies in major projects like EPIC, as well as clinical standardization. He played an important role in supporting the health equity, diversity and inclusion work to ensure that AHS is an inclusive place for our diverse staff to thrive and for our diverse patients to receive equitable care. I also wanna thank Luis for his support in ensuring a smooth transition with leaders in his respective teams we are confident that we will continue to provide the excellent care our patients so deserve. Luis will be leaving AHS effective tomorrow, which is February 11th, and we want to wish him the very best in his future endeavors. Mark Fratsky will assume the Chief Operating Officer role effective Friday the 12th of February, and he has had the opportunity to receive briefings from Luis so he can hit the ground running. As you may be aware, Mark was the Chief Operating Officer of AHS in 2014 before leaving for his successful tenures as a senior leader with Kaiser, as well as with the Seton Medical Center in Daly City. I feel fortunate to have Mark's support and talent as AHS moves forward. 
I will close this evening by expressing my gratitude for this opportunity. It's a big lift, but as you know, many hands make for a lighter load. And I will leverage the abundant talent within AHS, as well as the community support and goodwill that I know exists to achieve our shared objectives. Thank you for your attention. I welcome any questions or comments. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Thank you for those comments. Trustees, I'll open it up for any trustee comment. I'll start again, I'll support what you said in your last elements, James. Appreciation and thanks for the hard work that Luis Fonseca has given this organization for the past half decade. Uh, this, uh, these, these jobs uh, are, not, are not easy. So thank, thankful, uh, thankful, thanks to Luis and, 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 and respectful appreciation. And in that same vein, uh, uh, welcoming Mark Fratsky back to the organization. It's, it's, good, it's good to see your face again, Mark, and we look forward to, to, to all working with you. Um, those are my comments. <clears throat> Trustees, got a quiet crowd this, 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 this evening. Ellen Fox, I think, had his hand up. Uh, Trustee Fox, hi. Yeah, uh, James, besides uh, uh, Mr. Fonseca leaving, I know that there are a couple of other senior uh, executive leaders leaving. Uh, in the, uh, particularly in the HR and quality functions, I believe, or, or actually compliance function. And what, what is uh, pr progress on finding replacements for those individuals? Thank you for the question, Trustee Fox. Um, work is underway. Um, we have identified an individual who will be, begin the transition process with um, Tony Redmond in the weeks to come. And so we are confident that we'll have a smooth transition there. I intend to bring that information forward to the trustees as that transition uh, comes closer. In regards to compliance, um, there is an internal individual who um, has been identified, who has worked closely with our current compliance officer, um, who is prepared to step into the interim role. And so again, I feel that there's gonna be strong continuity there as well. And so, um, Transition is unsettling and it's a little hard, but um, I have a high degree of confidence in all of those positions that we've identified the right individuals to help us have a smooth transition. Thank you for that report. Thank you for the question. I'll, I'll follow up by stealing from our CEO in a nice letter he wrote to the organization. Uh, leaders change, but the mission does not. Uh, and, and those who come are in service of our mission. So we're appreciative for anyone who works through these halls. Uh, uh, so with that, I think we will close out item B, the CEO report. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. My pleasure. Um, Thank we'll, you. we'll now go into item C, the medical staff reports. Um, we have our medical staff leaders to remind us. Uh, Dr. Irina Williams is the chief of staff uh, for uh, the Alameda, Alameda Health System medical staff. Our, our vice chief of staff, Dr. Brandon Besh, will be giving uh, that report this evening. We have Dr. Idris Afzali. I didn't know if I saw Dr. Afzali in here, um, but maybe he is. He, he uh, chairs the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. So we'll hear a few comments from him. And then of course, Dr. Kathy Pyun, who's our chief of staff from the Alameda Hospital medical staff. So for the three of you guys, uh, as I say, dealer's choice, 15 minutes have been allocated. So roughly five minutes a piece. But again, if you have if you have something to say, we're always, we'll always be in receipt. Um, Anyone want to jump into the deep end first? I can go. Hi, Dr. Besh. Everyone, this is Dr. Besh, our vice 
Chief of Staff for uh, Alameda Health Systems Medical Staff. Nice to see see all the trustees and the, the administration um, and everyone else. Um, so there is a very brief report in your packet um, about credentials and privileging um, that was reported on the January 27th meeting at the closed session of QPSC. And then the consent agenda items were pediatric privileges form was updated as well. Um, the one highlight I wanted to, there are two highlights that I wanted to bring from our, our MEC meeting um, last month, and that is the OBG, uh, the obstetrics and gynecology report. Um, they are, uh, their specialty is providing a ton of services across our system. It's, it's, it's amazing to see when, the, when it's all listed on a slide. Um, and they are working on a quest for zero excellence in OB initiative. They've made a lot of progress in 2020 on areas of clinical clinic utilization, patient access, quality of care, and experience. Um, and they, they really are focusing on the pillars of teamwork, quality, and equity. Um, they have a Women's Reproductive Health Equity Fellowship, um, which I believe is in its second year. And they're doing research and they have a lot of leaders um, uh, looking at the health equity of women in our community. Um, so very inspiring presentation from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, anesthesiology also gave their report and they discussed their triad of, triad of leadership, anesthesiology, surgical services, and nursing. Um, they're working to bridge gaps in perioperative services um, throughout the system. They go to all of the, all of the hospitals and, and many clinics. Um, they have opportunities and challenges, including furthering the progress towards true system-wide perioperative services, COVID-19, and regulator, regulator readiness and compliance. Um, they've done an, an extraordinary job of getting of helping their critical care team through COVID um, uh, with, with activities in the ICU and, and also getting patients to the OR um, uh, um, in, the, in the pandemic. And then uh, the, the clinical staff is, is, is pretty diverse and it actually matches our patient population, which is, which is a male, white male dominated field generally. And so they have done a great job of rec recruiting. And then the last piece I wanted to bring up was they have a pain clinic, which is multidisciplinary um, with, with multiple groups, but uh, um, led by actually Irene or Williams. So it's nice that I can give that report and give her a shout out um, for her amazing work in the pain clinic. Thank you, Dr. Besh, for that report. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Besh on the Alameda Health System Medical Staff Report? Dr. Besh, you know I always have questions for anyone who gives reports. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to give us your rank list top concerns uh, or issues that, that you anticipate as one of the leaders from the med staff that you need to address. Yeah. Or that I, need, sorry, yeah. that need to be addressed. Yeah. yeah. I think this is a very common theme of the evening, which is when I talked with, with the MEC leaders, we came up with trust, accountability, and communication. And, um, and so I think it fits with the article you, you presented, um, which I, I was also in QPSD when we went over that article um, uh, initially. And, and I don't think that these three, three things are actually that separate. Separ you can't really separate them that much. I think they all go hand in hand. And I think that the front line of this medical staff has been inspiring for these last 11 months, to be honest with you. And even before there are many issues in our, in our organization, yet we've been able to provide care for our patients with those issues and through a pandemic. 
Um, each of our departments has risen to the challenge. I kind of talked about OB-GYN and anesthesia. I could, I mean, we would be here all night talking about all the departments, um, but, but that's just two examples of many departments we have. And really, you know, I think that I would invite this administration of order fees, like Mr. Jackson said, to come to the front lines, come to our clinics, come to the EDs, come to the floor, come to the break rooms and ask us honest questions, right? Um, come to the procedure areas, the lab, come everywhere and ask us. I was talking with PT today about how difficult it is for them to see um, COVID patients and how, the, how, how, much, how much time that takes for them. And that's on top of their complicated trauma patients on top of that, right? With their, which trachs and, and tracheostomy tubes and feeding tubes. And so come and talk to us. And then what I would ask is that when you come and talk to us, communicate back what you found, what you took away, and then acknowledge where the successes are and where the gaps are. So we have communication accountability and then we can start building trust, right? And I love this article that you had, Tab, because you know it talks about leveraging the assets you already have. Like, why make a new bowl? Why not use the bowl we have on the front lines and tell the truth, ask for help, ask for ideas? And I think then we can really, really can really bring this organization up to where, where we want to be. And so my invitation is to come and come and meet, come and hang out with us on the front lines. And I know that PT, I talked to them today, they're, they wanted you to come out. RT, I talked to them, they want you to come and hang out. So it's not just the medical staff. So thank you. Well, appreciative of that report, Dr. Besh. Trustees, any further questions? With that, uh, let's next go to Dr. Idris Afzali from the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. Dr. Afzali is a, an emergency department physician. By the way, Dr. Besh is our division chief for hospital medicine. Um, Dr. Afzali, welcome. Good evening, all. Thank you for having me. Uh, on behalf of San Leandro Hospital, we appreciate your service. Um, our leadership committee had our first organizational meeting this past uh, uh, last week. <clears throat> um, and uh, I will sort of uh, follow the same framework in which uh, our chairman uh, uh, sort of um, uh, asks his questions with, with three main overlying um, areas of, of focus. Um, the first and foremost being staffing. I realize that's a, an issue across the organization uh, and San Leandro is no exception, um, both with our nursing as well as with our, our providers. Uh, but there's uh, progress being made on the front. I won't uh, focus too heavily on it today. Uh, there are other areas that uh, deserve our attention as well. Uh, the number two item on there being quality and education and that um, uh, applies to uh, the services we provide, uh, such as in the in the OR and the ICU, uh, as well as uh, uh, staff education and, and being brought up to date on current practices uh, and procedures. Which uh, you know, I'd like to acknowledge uh, the Sim Lab at Highland for being instrumental in helping us roll that out uh, this morning at 5:30 in the morning. Uh, the sim lab was on site on the second floor of the of the hospital running a simulation on a on a code uh which i participated in it was it was great great to see that uh it's not a, a frequent side of community hospitals where that happens um but uh, there was nurses from the icu uh from the medical floor uh simulating a, a complicated code which went really well 
Um, on top of that, uh, you know, we're working on inter uh, facility transfers of getting patients to where they need to be, where they can get the best services that they can, uh, and using our transfer center and developing our transfer center to be able to serve as that as that engine to help us drive better patient care. Uh, a lot of work to be done in that area, uh, but uh, it's it's moving moving ahead. Um, and lastly, equipment and uh, uh, items we need to deliver that care uh, at San Leandro. Uh, you know, the, the hospital is aging, the equipment is aging even faster. Um, monitors in the ED are from the 80s uh, and have very limited capacity. Uh, I know that they've been on the agenda for some time and they continue to be uh, an item that's desperately uh, in need our CT machines been been down. There's a there's a mobile one in use and and plans to get a new one up and running, which unfortunately uh, sort of uh, puts MRI options off the table, uh, and so we have to transfer patients out to get MRI imaging, and that creates um, other challenges of getting patients to other sites and then back to San Leandro that we have to work through. Uh, but nothing that we can't overcome. Um, that's about the uh, summary that I have for you. And if there's any questions, I can answer them now. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Afzali with regard to issues uh, pertinent to San Leandro Hospital? Again, quiet crowd. Wow. Okay. Uh, with that, we'll close out with Dr. Afzali and we'll, um, we'll go with Dr. Kathy Pun. Dr. Pun is the Chief of Staff for Alameda Hospital and a hospitalist there. Welcome, Dr. Pian. Hi. Uh, thank you very much, uh, trustees. I, uh, basically, the credential package, you saw the policies and procedures. We all approved those. Uh, many of them are similar to the uh, policies and procedures at Highland and other, the other campuses. Uh, to note that there is uh, more surgical subspecialist residents uh, rotating here at Alameda, and we, we did approve uh, that as well. Uh, uh, the surgical residents are uh, are working closely with the attendings, and uh, we are generally the you know our our attendings at high, at our our facility are more comfortable uh, interacting with the attendings, not with the residents as much. So it's a little bit different than what you'd see maybe at, at the Highland campus. It's more uh, almost like a private practice model. So uh, in that way, uh, but um, uh, they've agreed to that, and uh, we're, we're sticking with that. Um, in addition, uh, talent neurology uh, has launched, which is prior to this, we had a private, uh, we had a, a Dr. Duderay who retired uh, and she was available 24 seven for years. And uh, obviously that wasn't too sustainable. So they had to switch to a teleneurologist, which is a, a neurologist that's not going to be at the hospital ever in, in person. And a person that's going to be doing video visits, uh, exams with the nurses, and um, we'll be um, not even putting in orders. They'll be actually contacting the hospitals. The hospitals will be putting in the orders and there'll be conversations going on. So this is a big difference than the kind of services we had before, but we're making the transition. We still think that the quality can still stay at a high level. And so far, I haven't heard too much. I'm, it's still a work in progress. I'm sure that there's going to be glitches to work out, but we're excited about that. Um, program and uh, we're hoping that it'll uh, it will be successful uh, in addition prior uh, we had some issues with cardiology coverage on the weekends we didn't have an in-house cardiologist in the past prior 
Uh, we had, a, you know, basically seven days a week cardiologist rounded at our hospital for many, many, many years. And, uh, uh, you know, since the affiliation, affiliation, we were, you know, we have one, one Monday through Friday, but not on the weekend. And lately, what we, you know, prior, we'd have to just call the cardiologist at Highland and just get kind of a verbal kind of, um, you know, recommendations and sometimes you know that we didn't there were no notes in the chart there was no real you know feeling of engagement with the cardiologist as much as if they're not writing a note we feel like there's not not enough skin in the game for them so they're they're now agreeing to do video visits on the weekends and actually writing notes and that is to me a huge step up for quality and i think that there's there, there's a lot of mistakes that can be made if you're just going to call cardiologists and present your case and have them verbally tell you some things over the phone i think there's a, a good chance that um mistakes can be made and and you know there are studies actually that go on that talk about this uh that you know what they call curbside consults these are these can be uh, often in, inaccurate so this is uh this is this, we're very very thrilled actually that uh, that uh, AHS has stepped forward and is giving the cardiologist some some uh, support to, to be able to provide this uh, level of service to us on the weekends and um, we're also getting echo on Sundays echocardiograms on Sundays we used to not be able to get any over the weekend at all and that would really slow down our workups and and make it very hard to manage our patients so that's that's also improved and I have to also um, uh, you know be very happy about that as well uh, I do want to say that we just finished a very, very bad COVID surge. It was particularly bad right after Christmas and uh, New Year's. Uh, and it hit our nursing homes on, on the island very, very hard. We're, we're basically Alameda Hospital surrounded by six very, some of them very large nursing homes. Some of them are over three, 400 beds, uh, they're bigger than the hospital itself. And you can imagine when this surge hit our the nursing homes, the very large numbers of people, of, of patients came to our doors. And uh, I have to say that um, it was very tough. The, uh, we only have a limited number of staff. We, don't, we can't just call in locum tenens or whatever. We had to ask our, staff, our hospital staff to pick up extra shifts, work longer hours. I know the nurse, uh, Monica, had to ask uh, a lot of uh, the uh, nurses to come in and do extra shifts and things like that. And people had to really step up. I mean, the ER turned into a, a mini ICU. And... Um, and uh, so I, I am very relieved that at least this surge is largely over. It's much better. And I'm hoping that it'll stay this way because if we have many more surges like this. I think that it would lead to severe burnout among the staff and nurses. I'm, I'm getting concerned about that. I, I'm just hoping that we're not going to see that again. Perhaps I'm hoping the vaccines will work. Um, and and uh, particularly in, in the nursing home population, a lot of them getting are getting vaccines, which I'm very grateful for. Um, so that's what I wanted to say so far. Uh, what do you um, you wanted to talk about some top concerns? Uh, you yeah, wanted me to mention, if you don't mind, close out. Uh, uh, kind of close out your But my concerns. Uh, I mean, I don't know if my concerns are the same as everyone's concerns. But again, it, I know that Dr. Marzuk in the past, my, the past uh, chief of staff, would talk about specialty coverage, and we are making some inroads with the teleneurology, telecardiology. I'm happy about that, but we still only have limited by limited. Um, podiatry and urology. Uh, we're also very, oh, I just wanted to mention that Dr. Lowry had mentioned uh, that uh, Dr. Deutsch and, and any other, and Dr. Jamaluddin are working on a plan to uh, get a vaccine clinic going over at um, Alameda Healthcare Wellness Center for the residents of Alameda. And we're very, very grateful that that, that, that probably will go forward. Uh, that's just an aside. Um, thank you very much for that because 
just to you know to help this community that that, that this on this island and uh, you know actually just bring AHS uh, to the forefront of this island and let people know that we're here and we're here to serve them um, also to go back uh, my big issue is you know specialty coverage uh, for um, Alameda uh, it's tough it's been tough because we're a small hospital we don't have a ton of the subspecialists that Highland has we want more access in a timely manner sometimes there's a patient that's just desperately in need of a maybe a neurosurgical consult and they need to be transferred to Highland. And some, every, sometimes you can talk to the neurosurgeon at Highland and they're in agreement. This patient needs to be seen or needs to be admitted or needs to be transferred there. And there's no beds. They're just like, you know, they're also like very impacted as well. It seems like they're always very busy. So it's very tough. Um, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where you just feel that you're, you know, you, you really want to take good care of your patient and you don't have really, you're not sure if you're going to have access to that subspecialty care when you really, really need it. And to be stuck with the patient at Alameda when they're not getting the care they need. And you know that, it, you know, an ambulance right away, they could get it at Highland, but there's no beds. That, you know, we have to figure out a way to, I don't know, break down some barriers and get the patient there, if, especially if it's absolutely needed for, you know, for patients uh, to survive for, for and uh, perhaps or, 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 or avoid paralysis or whatnot. So, um, that's something that we need to work on. Um, the transfer center is, has been helpful, but again, you can have a great transfer center, but if you have no beds, it doesn't help you very much. Um, also, a referral to the uh, specialty clinics. There's fantastic specialty clinics uh, all over uh, Highland and uh, AHS, but sometimes they're impacted. They're very busy, and sometimes I wonder how what the wait, what the wait times are when you're putting in requests for. Uh, for neurology or whatnot and it could I don't know I I, I heard for ortho it may be months so I I don't know um and sometimes you're just putting in the referral and you're like you're wondering when when are they going to call your patient back and you have no idea it just goes into a black hole it would be lovely if I knew what the wait time was for these clinics for my patients if I'm sending them over there so that's another thing it's just again I want access 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 for my patients to get the best very best care they can get and um, you know, just because we're a small hospital, it doesn't mean we, you know, should uh, should our patients should have just as much access as everyone else's. So within the system, so that's our our biggest challenge. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Pan. Um, Trustee Jensen. Um, uh, my question is, well, actually, uh, perhaps to Dr. Jamaldeen and uh, more to um, the system level, since Dr. Deuteray has. Um, departed and there is no actual neurology on site at Alameda Hospital. Alameda Hospital has been for some time with Dr. under Dr. Deuteray's leadership, a stroke center. And I, I'm just wondering how, um, if um, transporting stroke victims to Alameda Hospital, if Alameda Hospital would still be a transport site and a, a stroke center without a neurologist on site. That I'm not a clinician, so I'm not sure whether that certification would continue without having a, a neurologist at any time at the site. And maybe Dr. Jamadine could respond to that. Uh, thank you, Trustee Jensen. So uh, the answer is yes. We are going to continue our certification uh, for stroke uh, in Alameda Hospital. Uh, though there is no... Uh, Person on site, we have an oversight from the neurologist at uh, at Highland Hospital, 
Dr. Nathan Gaines, uh, and uh, it has been really difficult to recruit neurologists, but we are recruiting now neurologists who, uh, in addition, will, will, will be available uh, to oversee the program, and we will have metrics to ensure that we will keep the same quality of care uh, at, at Alameda Hospital. Uh, today, I, uh, I met with uh, also Dr. Nikita Joshi just to follow up on this program. And, uh, you know, I suggested that I will be rounding also with Dr. Uh, Nathan Gaines, who is a neurologist, uh, and, uh, and see how it is going from the emergency room department and from the hospitalist aspect. So we'll have more dashboard to ensure that we'll keep the quality. And as we recruit, I think we will be able to have more people on site in Alameda Hospital. Uh, I'd like to address also, if I may, uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet, uh, the, the two uh, issues that uh, are raised by Dr. Pune. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, Highland never have like open, open beds that are available. And, uh, you know, I've worked with... Uh, with uh, Ms. McInnes and the transfer, uh, uh, Ms. Janet McInnes and the transfer center, if a patient needs an emergency procedure, we consider this patient as presenting to Highland. And if the, if we have uh, an OR, we have a surgeon, the patient needs a procedure, we have the diagnosis, we'll bring them to Highland or to the intervention. So we'll do everything we can to bring the patients and then we'll figure out how we can find the beds. Uh, we have had situation where our PACU was was uh, really impacted during the COVID uh, surge and, and uh, sometimes we had difficulty bringing patients because once they come to the procedure room or they come to the OR, they need, they need a place to be observed. So we are also uh, addressing uh, this uh, this uh, this aspect uh, as as far as access to procedure. Yes, we have a neurosurgeon that cover our trauma service, and uh, and they cover beyond also trauma. We have like oncology and spine services. So we would like to have, you know, whenever you have such a patient, please escalate to us. Let us know. We want to ensure that we get the patient the the care that they need as soon as they can. Thank you, Dr. Jamaluddin. And um, to that point as well, I, I, I appreciate Dr. Pune's comments and um, and the the transfer. I, I, and I've also, I, as other, I, I'm sure that um, everyone in the system has noticed that that as the um, the COVID numbers have gone down, the the code reds have been going back up, and so the transfer center definitely is going to be in use, and we'll be seeing more transfers to Alameda Hospital, probably from Highland. So um, I appreciate everyone at Highland's hard work. And, and also, again, um, just a comment to um, Dr. Pune's point. It, I, I've been also seeing the numbers in the post-Christmas numbers were in the, in the 30s and having 30 patients, that more than half of the beds at Alameda Hospital, more three quarters of the beds at Alameda Hospital were COVID positive patients. And it was extremely stressful, I'm sure, for everyone in Alameda Hospital. So I just have to really give a shout out and, and, and thanks to everyone, all of the clinicians, all of the staff at Alameda Hospital. It was tremendous and, 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 and very, very quick, very, very quick and very, very, um, a, a very, very, very um, hot, quick happening at Alameda Hospital with the COVID um, patients there and the patients that came from from um, Park Bridge and from the other sites, the other skilled nursing sites as well. So thank you, Dr. Pune, to, to you and to everyone there. 
that was really really a challenge and i know that 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 you guys handled it everyone there handled it very well and there was there was very um that the patients everyone took care of everything and and there was a very good outcome so i i know the people in alameda were thanking you too if I may, Trustee Bouquet, just uh, Trustee Jensen, I totally agree. During the week between Christmas and New Year and a little bit thereafter, uh, our system had the highest number of COVID, but also did all the hospitals around us. And even nursing home were uh, refusing uh, transfer back to nursing home because of outbreak. So we were really very, very impacted with the throughput. What has helped really is what you just mentioned, is how we have functioned as an integrated system. So we have had the transfers to Alameda Hospital from San Leandro when we didn't have beds and patients were in emergency department and vice versa. So we have worked as an integrated system to really contain this surge and to deliver the best care for our patients. And the level of communication and cooperation was really unprecedented in our system. Uh, I want to mention just uh, very briefly as it relates to the vaccine in Alameda Island. I know that uh, uh, Dr. Swift has mentioned uh, that her work with, with the mayor and with the task force. Uh, but we are looking into creating uh, a clinic to support the patients uh, that go to the community providers and they don't go to any other health system, and that's in the wellness clinic. So we are working on this. It needs some regulatory requirement and some, uh, uh, you know, uh, like uh, certification from the state, but we'll be working on this and try to get it up uh, as soon as we can. Thank you, Dr. J. Uh, barring no other comment, I will close out. Thank you to, to the doctor leader, the physician leaders, uh, Dr. Besh, Dr. Pune, Dr. Zali. We'll close out item C, a little bit uh, behind time, that's on me. And we'll go into item D. These are the committee reports. We've allocated 20 minutes to this. So we'll move relatively, each of the committee chairs, relatively rapidly through this, a brief summary uh, and, and uh, to give our audience and the rest of the trustees a little bit of feel. So. Item D1, we'll hear from the chair of the Quality Professional Services Committee. Wow, that's me, so I'll give that report. Um, the QPSC report, uh, QPSC met on January 27th. Um, this, this meeting, in brief, was an orientation to our new trustees to this committee. I was the only uh, uh, member who continued on from prior. That being said, trustees Jensen and Banerjee had had previous tenures on the QPSC. We reviewed an article, you'll see a theme there about articles and learning. It was, a, in my opinion, an excellent and, and, and pretty simple article entitled, What Boards Must Do to Achieve Better Quality Healthcare. And, and I'll give you the summary, the Reader's Digest version is, the aspirational vision for each trustee is to be able to answer in the affirmative the following three statements. So this is for all of us uh, as we're here. First, I understand the domains of and key concepts underlying quality care. I think that's an essential domain. Second, I understand the process to assess, prioritize, and improve care. And third, our board culture demonstrates a commitment to, deliver, to delivering quality for all patients. So those are sort of the three tenets of that article. I ask any of the trustees who are on that committee, and actually it's our uh, most heavily stacked committee, six of us are on that, uh, to, to read those articles. Through our standard work, we did our typical things. We approved policies and procedures. We approved med staff credentialing. We heard from our respective chiefs of staff. 
And then we heard, re, uh, heard reports from the three arms of our quality division, which were from safety, from compliance, and our true north metric dashboard. One of the important take homes for the trustees and for, and for our public is uh, we successfully uh, negotiated the, the joint commission reaccreditation, uh, uh, reassessment in December of last year. That reset the clock for us. So we anticipate a new full joint commission survey sometime approximately May to July uh, of, of this year. So there's, uh, uh, we have a little bit of a pause and a respite, but there is more work coming. And with that, I'll close out the committee report from the QPSC D1. Any questions? Excellent, barring none, we'll go to uh, the finance committee uh, from chair, uh, Trustee Esteen from February 3rd, 2021. Trustee Esteen. Thank you very much, uh, Sir Chair. Um, so my finance committee report is in the minutes, uh, in the attached agenda rather, if anyone wants to see it. Um, as a side note, my notes are not comprehensive. They represent a summary of high points in the meeting. Um, all committee members were present. Board President Bouquet attended an ex officio status and there was some rousing uh, question and answers that took place. Um, and that was really great, the level of participation, because our finances are a high priority for this Board of Trustees. Um, there's a point of correction on one of my bullets uh, where we talk about COVID costs exceeding revenue. The correct way for that to be phrased is lower volumes have occurred as a result of COVID, therefore we have less revenue. Um, on an aside, when we created Sapphire to bring in our Epic Health record, um, AHS deposited $7 million. Over two years, we did this twice. So a total of $14 million with a third deposit coming in 2021. Uh, we have submitted all necessary reports for our county system to give back $14 million, even though we will be giving another seven. It's a bit of accounting, um, but there will be $14 million showing up as cash flow to our net negative balance in January, uh, which we appreciate greatly. On another exciting moment, uh, the CARES Act funding that was finally approved in our federal level of uh, the government sent $20 million to AHS on January 26th. That is huge. We really need the funding, especially because we are $34 million behind in our budget. So that is gonna take us more than halfway to coming to a zero balance. Um, with all the discussion that we just heard about uh, the COVID surge, it must be stated that Alameda Hospital SNF was named one of the best nursing homes in California, ranked seventh out of 400 for facilities that have more than 150 beds. This is a ranking provided by Newsweek. This was the second year in a row and this was due to the leadership of our uh, post-acute uh, CAO. I put Rich's name wrong in the uh, in my notes as well. I apologize for that. Richard Espinosa. Thank you very much, Richard Espinosa. Um, we also heard about our fiscal year 2022 budget process report, which is underway, and a budget oversight committee is comprised of our CEO, CFO, a head of human resources, as well as our chief medical officer. Um, trustees gave a lot of 
input on what we'd like to see as a part of this process. And you can read all the details in my report. Um, there was one contract approval request, which is gonna be heard tonight. We moved that over into this board agenda that's gonna be on E3A. And as I mentioned earlier, for finance committee planning going forward, we will probably hear from WIFLI about uh, all of our finances, but especially IOP in April of 2021. Uh, we need some time to digest all the relevant data in our executive level. And then uh, that information will be made public and help us decide on directions to take as we move forward, forward in a change from IOP to a likely wellness model as uh, requested by Alameda County, our mothership in this journey. That's it for my report. Does anyone have any questions? Uh, a prodigious amount of data you are consuming, Trustee Esteen. You, uh, you're, uh, you're a front runner for the MVP award right now. So uh, uh, tip my hat to you. Um, and I have to uh, comment on that. Yes, she is. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to make sure everybody heard that great news that, you know, we were currently 40.5 million off of budget and that 20 million just took care of half of the negative variance that we have year to date through December. So great news for the system. So yes, ma yes Madam CFO, we will take that money. So again, let's, let's clarify. <laughs> 40 just got chopped down to approximately 20. Uh, um, so we will take that kind of win every day. Trustee Esteem, one more time for, for the other trustees in public. We believe Whipley will be in its status for digestion and presentation in approximately April. Okay. That's correct. We're still working on uh, details for the IOP results and um, hopefully we'll have the entire Whipley report. This would be phase two of their analysis. Phase one was issued last year. Um, and if Whipley is not completely ready, then we will at least bring forward the discussion around IOP because this has been such a time consuming process and we wanna make sure that our uh, partners uh, and Alameda County, all of the stakeholders and everyone present understands what we're working with. Trustee Esteen, just to remind our stakeholders in the room, can you give a 20 second summary on what Whipley is? We keep saying this word and many people don't know what WIPLI is. That's a very good point. And I apologize, I don't know if it's an acronym. It is, in my estimation, the name of a business entity that works in financial consultation and they have expertise in many areas of public health financing and are helping us with uh, auditing in a certain respect. They were brought on by the previous uh, board and we have retained them because the services they are providing are very helpful. Yes, ma'am, thank you very much. And the data they provide us will give us some illumination to things or where we weren't, where we had lack of clarity. And I think it, it'll, be, it'll be a very great guidance document, uh, uh, even with imperfections towards, towards how, we, how are we go. So uh, for all of us, the Whipley Report is a big thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Trustee Esteen. With that, we will close uh, item D2. Item D3 is the Human Resources Committee. Uh, Trustee Louisa Blue is the committee chair. Uh, she unfortunately is not present tonight. Uh, I, uh, uh, this, this occurred sort of last second. I'm not gonna ask the other committee members, trustees Jensen or Esteen to go on the spot unless they want to, but they weren't, they weren't informed for preparation. So given that, 
I, if begging the indulgence of the rest of the trustees, we'll defer D3. Um, is that acceptable, Trustee Esteen and Trustee Jensen? Okay. That's we'll then go to item D4, the executive committee, uh, the committee chair's TAC bouquet. Oh, that's me. So I will uh, give uh, this brief report. The executive committee, and to remind our, our stakeholders, the executive committee is made of the board president, the vice president, and um, the secretary treasurer. Um, so uh, this is one of the standing committees. We, we, uh, we have intermittent meetings and we post them because they are uh, subject to Brown. So in brief, uh, we had a relatively short meeting and did the following items on our executive committee on January 27th. One, we did agenda forecasting for February, March. Um, I'll reiterate the discussion of the IOP is of importance to this organization and obviously to our stakeholders. Uh, now, with, uh, with Trustee Asin giving us some background, I, I'm of the opinion, I think we are of the opinion that we want, we want to make decisions when we have good data. And I think, I think there's still some data pending before we can really make an analysis of maybe where we're going. We can perhaps consider current state. We're still trying to determine whether we should just give a current state discussion and then hear Whipley and then give more. Um, I'll say that the executive committee is going to uh, still brood over how to do that, uh, fully acknowledging the interest in this subject. We also discussed our, our relationships with um, our stakeholders. Um, Dr. Scott, I mean, Mr. Scott Coffin is the CEO of Alameda Alliance, a critical stakeholder. We've invited him to give a report to us in March on uh, the state of affairs between Alameda Alliance and our organization. And of course, we discussed uh, the right timing for hearing about the Whipley report. And now uh, Trustee has informed us uh, probably uh, ready for sort of our version of digestion of it in April. The second item we did on the executive uh, uh, committee agenda was planning for the April retreat. Remember, uh, trustees and, and stakeholders, we uh, the, we have, have slated ourselves for an agenda uh, for a, an April retreat. What we have not landed on is an exact day. We've selected a one full day Friday, um, but we don't know which Friday it is. So, trustees. There's a poll out there from, from the Madam Clerk of the Board. Please answer her. Uh, we're looking for the second, third, or fourth Friday of the month, 1623 or 30. And then we're proposing a, a working agenda. We seek the input of other trustees, uh, stakeholders, but, but we, we're trying to keep it simple. It's a day. One, we feel a learning session is, is requisite. I, I think that that goes to board performance. Uh, if this board isn't continuously learning, how are we going to get where we need to go? Second, we need to do some element of strategic planning. Uh, it's, it's our projection that, that the county has advised with their engagement of uh, HMA that some proposal will be available approximately March. So by the end of April, we should be in a better position to hear from HMA's recommendations to, to our supervisors. So that can help guide our strategic planning. The third item that we would request is a governance update from that HM, maybe that HMA report. Uh, we know that we did not engage them, but we would, in in in, in the spirit of, of of respectful partnership, we would ask them to to, to hear from uh, what they would be reporting that, and we we'll, we'll work that out with our with our our uh, stakeholders as well about if if there's a different venue for that. And last, we will continue on our our 
regular pathway of CEO performance and, and got help guiding our interim CEO towards success. Um, we gave an update on the status of the governance process. At that point, I think when we had the meeting, I think only our interim CEO had been interviewed, but I think a number of other stakeholders have been interviewed. I think that uh, Trustee Banerjee and I have been invited, but we are just finally settling on a time where we can be interviewed. So there's not much to update with regard to the governance issue. And then last but not least, we've talked about uh, an ongoing item called board performance. Uh, we Our expectation is to help guide our CEO, but we need to also uh, be vulnerable and speak the truth to ourselves where we can be better and uh, where our opportunities are for ourselves. So we're, we're, we're working out a plan for how we will self-eval and self-guide and that will come from learning. So that, those are the items we discussed in the executive committee. Uh, with that, I'll hear any other comment with regard to the XCOM. Uh, if there are none, I'll close out item D4. Trustees, questions? Excellent, we will close out item D4. We, we will go into committee report D5. This is actually the ad hoc governance committee built by this uh, uh, built by this board and trustee Dong has graciously agreed to chair it. Trustee Dong, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, we had a quick meeting, a quick organizational meeting this past weekend, uh, the governance ad hoc committee. And uh, we had a moment to self-reflect uh, on our own structure, uh, as well as our board committees. But the important news from that meeting is that we all agreed that we are going to look forward to a open public meeting at the end of February, uh, a date yet to be decided, uh, most likely in the evening, where we will um, invite uh, the California Public Health Associate, Public Hospital Association to come and provide an overview of the primary board uh, organizational structures for public hospital systems. Uh, and there are a few, including our own uh, structure. And in addition, we'll invite HICSA, Healthcare Services Administration, to come and provide an update on their consultant report from AHA, HMA. And a reminder to uh, the other trustees and the public and staff HMA was retained prior to the reconstitution of this current board of and that timeline is still as uh, chair Bouquet has mentioned is still March so we want to use our ad hoc committee as a way of receiving stakeholder information and what we want to really articulate to all of you is that we want to create a safe space for all the stakeholder groups and individuals who want to have a say in the future governance structure to be able to do that um, at our next meeting in, at the end of February. And overall, we want to invite everyone to come. We've asked uh, Mr. Jackson, who graciously um, agreed to send a communication to all AHS employees informing them of this committee and what we will be revealing. I think it'll be very instructive uh, in terms of the structures that will be presented and we'll get an update from the county itself. And um, we wanna make sure we hear your And that includes patients, most definitely includes patients. So um, we'll let people know about the date 
in the evening, but um, uh, at the end of February. But I, I really want to say that we look forward to working with the Board of Supervisors on the governance issue. Um, we want to make sure that what we do at Alameda Health System uh, is addressed and uh, by this overall governance structure where we can excel in that structure and um, have a balance, a very good balance between the clinical and operational needs of our system. We are seeking a balance and a voice for the clinical and the operations of our system. Um, I think we've received many communications about making sure there's a balance, and I can assure you that this, this is what we are hoping to achieve. So I look forward uh, at the end of February, once we're working on a date right now, uh, where we can articulate when we can um, see some of the options that will be available to us and an update from Alameda County. And again, I look forward to working with our partners um, at Alameda County. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Dong. Trustees, any questions for Chair Dong on this ad hoc governance committee, a very important committee? Barring none, we'll close out item D5 and we'll go to item D6, the interim CEO recruitment slash onboarding uh, ad hoc committee. This is chaired by a trustee Banerjee. Trustee Banerjee, hi. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, as you know, that the CEO transition committee isn't simply uh, to search and select the interim CEO, but our role here is to ensure that we he is set up for success with onboarding, transfer of knowledge, and all the resources that he needs. Um, unlike, uh, we do not want our interim CEO just to be holding the space together until a permanent comes in. He has the full authority of the board to bring all of the changes that he needs to do to reset and set, uh, make make the necessary changes for our operational, our clinical, our fiscal support. So, thank you, um, James, for your uh, you know completing your two weeks and you're in your third week. So, our um, group um, we overlap the um, governance. Um, uh, committee um, and the CEO transition. So we had a conversation about the onboarding after that. We do thank you. Really great news to have Mark Fratsky on board. So welcome, Mark. One of the things that we discussed both uh, during the CEO onboarding and uh, transition discussion, but also at length at QPSC that Trustee Estine has already said is that one of the things that we feel um, even the previous board, but this board is very, very committed to is making sure that our um, clinical education on the acute side is strong, is consistent because we have pockets of excellence, but it's not consistent throughout. And as a joint commission survey last um, last year showed some of the weaknesses and our um, staff have been amazing to get this last survey. That was great, but we still need to operationalize it, internalize it, so it's absolutely part of our system. So we are very thrilled that um, Mark Tanvir and the clinical staff, um, CMO, you will be bringing that level of um, the uh, models that really bring both the clinical operation and good alignment. Uh, so those are um, 
the updates we will be working this committee will also be working on the um ce interim ceo performance um evaluation part of it so we've been waiting um a little bit to give james some time to uh, have his listening talk to his ear uh, leadership team and to others to be on listening sessions so that he can have uh, more clarity about like what goals you will be um you know you will be prioritizing and in partnership with uh, james we will be setting up um, um evaluation process for um our interim ceo and that's my report thank you trustee banerjee chair banerjee any questions for trustee banerjee on the this ad hoc committee to help uh, uh help our interim ceo Barring none, that will uh, lead me to close out item D, the committee reports. We'll now move into uh, item E, the consent agenda. So uh, before entertaining any motions, I ask, do any trustee have concerns with specific consent items that we should pull for further dialogue? Uh, if so, we can pull that from the consent. Uh, barring none, I'll entertain a motion. Any trustees would uh, feel uh, compelled to pull, and it's okay for dialogue, but just by process, we can pull it. I move approval of the consent. Yes. Second. Um, uh, so we have a motion and a second. Let's go to roll call. Um, Madam Clerk. Yes, Trustee uh, Bouquet. Yes. Trustee Banerjee. Yes. Trustee Dong. Yes. Trustee Esteen. I think she shook her head. Yes, I believe so. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Trustee Splendoria. Yes. Motion passes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. With that, we uh, uh, go through item E, uh, and we now go into item F, action discussion. Um, uh, we have two items here, F1 and F2. F1, I'm very happy to hear. Uh, this is the Homeless Center Co-Applicant Board and uh, two stars within our system, Dr. Damon Francis and Heather McDonald Fine. They're going to be telling us what the Homeless Center Co-Applicant Board is and then giving us uh, uh, a few uh, uh, elements of concern or, or status report. And um, trustees, we will be hearing from uh, these two, uh, you know, on, on a regular cadence uh, throughout the year, uh, just to be you know, so, uh, Dr. Francis uh, and Ms. McDonald, fine. Welcome. Thanks so much. I, uh, I tried to share my screen because I think uh, some of the trustees have already been subject to my fumbling last time uh, with <laughs> without being able to share the slides myself. So I figured if they have to listen to it twice, at least I can fumble a little bit less this time around. So hopefully that's working, and you all can see the the screen here. Awesome. Um, so I think this will this will function for many uh, for some of the trustees I think as a revisiting um, and for others um, as more of an introduction to our um, Alameda Health System Homeless Health Center. Uh, but I'm hoping to get through the slides quickly. Please feel free to interrupt if you have questions along the way. Um, it's uh, I think uh, can be a little bit of a complex topic, and then I hope we can have a little bit of time for discussion at the end. Um, so I'm hoping just view the current structure of the Homeless Health Center program um, to give you a little bit of an overview of, you know, what the operations look like and then really end with um, some discussion about, you know, the current issues that we're focused on within the Homeless Health Center. 
Um, so some of you who, you know, who um, have been around healthcare for a while probably know the health center program. Um, it was, you know, established uh, as part of the war on poverty in the United States. There are community health centers in every state in the country. Um, they are uh, um, a form of primary care where um, population health planning on a geographic basis is mandated and um, community governance is mandated. So 51% of the people on the governing board of a health center have to be patients of that health center. Um, and so um, what some of you may not realize is that um, Alameda Health System has within it a community health center that actually does meet those requirements. So we do, in fact, have a governing board that's 51% patients, and we do, in fact, do population health planning that goes beyond who's an existing patient of you know, Alameda Health System, but rather what's happening for people experiencing homelessness in our community, and how are we required to do strategic planning as a consumer board to um, improve the health of that population broadly, really with a focus on, on um, primary care scope of services. So um, as you can imagine, um, you know, anything in Alameda County, the structure is pretty complex. Um, so um, we'll start maybe from the bottom. You can see probably operational structures that you all recognize. So the wellness centers and then below that, some of our specialty services and urgent care services. On the left side is the mobile health van, which is um, one of the programs that, you know, in addition to kind of stewarding the system, Heather and I oversee together. That's a, a mobile clinic that um, travels to drop-in centers and homeless shelters around the county and delivers urgent care that's uh, operated out of uh, Eastmont Wellness administratively. And then um, really all of that sits within the ambulatory care department. Um, and, um, and I am um, the head of the, of the project from the perspective of the federal agency that, that, um, you know, that funds the health center. Um, which means I report directly to the co-applicant board, which is at the top of this structure. Um, and um, that's our consumer board. That board actually has the, um, has the ability to remove me from the role. They don't have the ability to, um, to fire me from Alameda Health System, but they do actually have the, the authority to remove me from the role of health center project director. Um, they also um, have the responsibility for approving an annual budget that's really... Um, a combination of, you know, uh, it's really it's it's really thorny to figure out sort of how you stitch together. But we have basically a simultaneous approval process that works alongside your approval process as a board to ensure that um, the resources um, that go toward people experiencing homelessness have you know strong input and 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 approval of you know our consumer board um, in terms of planning our services you know from one year to the next. Um, and uh, so you can see that co-applicant board, we, um, you know, just uh, had been, I think, talking about how we were going to be able to integrate, you know, more, more um, uh, sustainably with, with this board. And I'm looking forward to figuring out how we're going to make that structure um, work over time in a more consistent way. This is a relatively new um, structure, actually, for Alameda Health System, just having been started up in the last couple of years um, by Heather um, and then I joined uh, just in February, right before COVID hit. So that's been, you know, a lot of the focus of our work. Um, you can see within Alameda Health System, um, I report through the um, chief ambulatory officer, so uh, Dr. Babaria, and um, and then up through the the chief medical officer. In addition to this complexity of structure, we're actually also a nested part of a community health center that's operated by the county where I used to work. And so the county has a um, Healthcare for the Homeless Commission, 
that functions as its community health center board, that commission has a waiver of consumer participation. So it isn't actually a 51% board, but it does meet a lot of the other requirements for a community health center board. And then they have a joint governing responsibility with the board of supervisors. Um, so um, you can see, you know, you can imagine how complex this kind of system is to, to operate. Um, but I think, you know, really um, our, our uh, you know, uh, uh, James got to attend a meeting last night of our co-applicant board. And I think, um, you know, I was really, I was really proud, you know, it was just on display how valuable the consumer board is and, and how, um, how much guidance and direction they give us um, to really focus on the, you know, needs and interests of people experiencing homelessness in our community. And so I think it's well worth the complexity to, to, to be a community health center and to have the benefit of, of this, uh, this governance model. Um, so I'll, I'll just uh, show this slide, then we can maybe pause for questions about kind of structural things. Um, so I mentioned I'm the project director and the medical director for the program. Heather McDonald-Fine is our practice manager and coordinator. The scope of services that are considered within the Homeless Health Center scope includes basically all of our ambulatory facilities, so the wellness centers at Highland K6 and K7, um, parts of HCP4. The patients who are within the federal scope are people experiencing homelessness who either live in shelters, live on the streets, or um, in expanded definition beyond what uh, the Housing and Urban Development uh, Agency would define as homeless, people who are actually doubled up or couch surfing also, um, for the purposes of this program, um, are homeless, which is really important because um, that's more of a transient condition for folks, but it's a really common one in our community and tends to be you know, a precursor to people who are then, um, you know, living on the streets or in shelters for longer periods of time. Um, the services are all ambulatory, so primary and specialty care, behavioral health, dental services, and then um, health education, care coordination. Um, so the scope um, really, um, uh, we expect to encompass about 20,000 visits by about 4,800 unduplicated patients based upon past years, um, uh, projections for this calendar year. And, um, the, the staffing is really based on estimates, you know, of the, of the overall proportion of the ambulatory budget. So 67 FTE and $11.3 million really as a portion of the ambulatory budget that's dedicated toward this population receiving these services in these settings. So I'll pause there just for any questions about the structure um, before I move forward and talk more about what we do. Can I ask how you'll be impacted by Measure W that was just passed in November? Yeah, so um, Measure W is um, narrowly passed uh, um, increase in the sales tax in Alameda County that will fund services for people experiencing homelessness. I think the projections are between $100 million and $150 million uh, countywide per year of revenue, a lot of which probably going to go to housing, uh, but some of, some of which will probably go um, to some sort of services. And um, we're, you know, we're in partnership with our county partners in the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program, really um, trying to understand, you know, how the county is prioritizing, um, you know, where those resources are going to go and, and how we'll fit into it. So we're really in the early stages, but we do expect to be involved um, in, in, you know, um, at least the, the programming, partnering with, you know, whoever receives the funding, if we don't receive the fund, some of the funding ourselves and, and be involved in planning as well. Um, Dr. Francis, I had a question. Um, thank you. Thank you for um, this. 
just because we, the AHS core, or the, the AHS system will be looking at the Joint Commission survey, I just wondered, is the HRSA site visit something that happens on a, or is, that, is there anything coming up in the, this year? That's a great question. So uh, back in the day, um, Heather and I, when I was working for the county, partnered on the HRSA site visit, and HRSA did come to Alameda Health System um, and um, and conduct some of the you know audit uh, the, the operational site visit at Alameda Health System. Now the way that the program is structured, because we are a subrecipient of the federal funds and achieve our status that way, the monitoring of um, our compliance with the health center program is done entirely by the county. And HRSA only visits the county. And so we have a continuous monitoring regime where the County Healthcare for the Homeless program, we have a quarterly formal meeting with them that uses the same booklet and manual for the operational site visit. And we carve it up into governance and administration, clinical issues, um, and you know, financial issues, and, and do our review kind of on that way on a rolling basis. Um, I think it's it's good, you know, it doesn't enable us to get far behind on anything. It's it's better than the sort of pattern I think we were in in the past of playing catch up. And um, and so I think it's been, you know, it's been a good um, it's it's been a good system that we've developed around that. And I think it still gives us the benefit of of um, having close, you know, connection with the county around the principles of the health center. Uh, some of you may know Luella Pensarga, who's working as the deputy director and, you know, I think she always lifts up this idea of primary care for everyone being really the core of how those regulations are designed. And I think if you look internationally, the systems that achieve health equity, that achieve good population health outcomes are ones that have really strong primary care structures. And so I think it's a, it's a really good aspiration for us to be the best health center that we can be. And, and that process, I think, helps us do that. Thank you, Dr. Francis. And we are very lucky to have you back. So thank you. May I ask a question? Uh, Dr. Francis, um, I'm curious about the, the mobile, the van. Um, um, so I'm just looking at the, you know, your visits. How many visits from the van or as a result of the van? Yeah, the van, the target for visits for us is about 100 visits per month. Um, and uh, we're actually running... 100 medical visits per month, and then we do um, 100 enabling services encounters, typically also, which includes community health worker visits a month that may help with coordinating services outside of that. Um, we're actually running lower than that target since COVID because there have been lots of changes to the, um, to the population of people living in shelters, and people are more, are more stationary in shelters. There's less people moving through the shelters. Um, and we're really looking this year, you know, along with COVID, to, to rethink how that service operates. Um, I think it's been really critical that it's, you know, it is um, visible countywide, it's available countywide, that that the shelters really know that they have the support and connection to Alameda Health System. I think operationally, we want to figure out how it can be a bigger part of connecting people into the rest of the system rather than just, you know, being at, being at some of the sites. So it, it, you mentioned it travels throughout the county? Yes. Um, how does it circulate? How does it circulate? I mean, does it have a specific days, times, uh, locations, et cetera? Yes, we have a calendar um, that is uh, publicly available, and we work closely with the um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program to plan that calendar. And so we're in the middle of making some shifts to the calendar 
They, they have other contracted programs, um, including the Hope Fan um, in South County. So um, although we are able to travel around the county, we tend to be concentrated more in Central and North County because there are other programs that, that Alameda County contracts with in other parts of the community. Yeah, I don't recall ever seeing the van in East County. I think that's that is the territory that's covered by um, by another contract of Alameda County, and that's that's the primary reason why. But we have occasionally done work in that part of the county as well. Um, it's not it's just not the territory that we tend to cover more commonly. Okay, thank you, Dr. Francis. It's Trustee Dong. Welcome back to Alameda County. We're so happy to have you back. Uh, a couple of questions. I, I do want to uh, say um, affirmatively how much that mobile van is used in San Leandro to um, create that relationship of trust and for the homeless folks to get help. It's often one of our first actions to get people to go to the van is to go to the van and uh, get help and medical attention. And the your drivers of the van, uh, well, it's a kind of a larger than a van, uh, of the mobile unit uh, and the nurse are, are just awesome. So I want to thank you for that um, very creative type of activity. But I did want to ask, going back to your uh, comments related to primary care, do you, now that the county has implemented street health teams throughout the county with uh, NP, uh, mental health and community health educators um, uh, going to encampments. How will you coordinate with those street health teams, if at all, or the FQHCs that hold those contracts? Um, that's a great question. Um, right now, our coordination is primarily with the, the shelter health division of the Healthcare for the Homeless program. And so the mobile van operationally is really the major location where you know where where we're doing things like planning which sites we're going to be at, which patients we're going to serve, how we're going to help those specific patients access our resources. From a population health planning level, um, I think we're um, we're very interested in using the data in Care Connect um, to think more about you know all of the people who are assigned to Alameda Health System, assigned to the other partners who's where in the system, who's had what contacts in the system, and how can we refer back and forth and also do some, do some um, sort of regionally oriented planning. So I think we're increasingly going to align not just with the shelter program in the county, but with the really new street outreach programs in the county to think regionally and say, how can we pair, pair Hayward Wellness Center with the street outreach teams and the shelter team in the Hayward area to think about developing those relationships and developing those networks. That's really in the early stages. I think they've done a great job, you know, in the middle of COVID standing up a brand new program with a bunch of new contracts and just getting people out there. Um, but certainly, you know, um, this is a regular conversation between, you know, myself and Lucy Kasdan. The medical director role on the county side is actually open right now as well, too. So, you know, it's going to be really important for them to fill that position. But um, you know, that's going to be a really important question for us as we move forward over the next few years. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing um, pro your progress. Great. So um, just a couple more slides here to, you know, talk more about uh, our patients and, and, uh, and, and um, the rest of the program. So um, we just put this slide with a, a um, above and below comparison between the 
patients of Alameda Health System overall and the homeless health center patients. Um, and you know, I think the things I would highlight is really our patients tend to be um, more African-American in the homeless health center than the rest of the population, because as you know, I think systemic racism is a major driver of homelessness. Um, you know, the legacy of redlining and, um, and you know, other systemic, uh, systemic you know, discriminatory policies really show up in who, in who experiences homelessness in our community. Um, our payer mix actually is remarkably pretty similar, and you can see, you know, only about 2% of homeless health center patients have no payer. This looked nothing like this before the Affordable Care Act, and so um, I think that's an example of how federal policy has really dramatically changed, you know, what the tools are that we have um, to serve this, this community and this population because we're, you know, we're able to do a lot more creative things with Medi-Cal billing um, and Medi-Cal as a support than we were, you know, when, when people experiencing homelessness were, you know, majority actually uninsured. Um, and then you can see in the age comparisons, we have relatively fewer um, children compared to the rest of uh, Alameda Health System and the Homeless Health Center, which I think is good news. And, and we're slightly older um, overall than the, than the age group for the um, system overall. Um, so the, um, the, there's one really important nuance to understand about the financing for federally qualified health centers. The federal scope for reporting, when we send our reports up to HRSA, it excludes patients with homes. So we're really just reporting on the patients that we serve who've experienced homelessness in the last year, the, um, the costs and the revenues and the staffing associated with those patients. But really crucially, FQHC payments that are you know, higher rates for Medi-Cal from the state for Medi-Cal, these, um, these payments... Uh, really include patients with homes. They include all of the patients in our ambulatory system. So financially, this is a really important underpinning for the entire ambulatory um, uh, department and all the ambulatory services that we provide. And I think that distinction is really important to understand. We're only governing the scope of people experiencing homelessness, but the benefit is extending really to all of our patients um, who get ambulatory services at Alameda Health System. And there are some combinations of sites and services, for example, Urgent Care at Highland, that are not billed at FQHC rates. So, you know, this just adds elements of complexity into everyone's job to figure out how we sort of think about the planning and and um, and the support for these for these services, uh, you know, across our system. Um, here's a quick view of um, who our co-applicant board members are. Um, uh, again, it's a it's a majority uh, consumer board. Um, you know, that meets all the, all the HRSA requirements and uh, really includes people who have a lot of uh, experience and expertise, you know, really in multiple roles. In some cases, someone can be a consumer and, a, you know, a service provider in the community. Um, there are, um, you know, folks who um, have really solid experience in other public systems serving people experiencing homelessness. So I um, really would encourage any of you who want to attend one of our CAB meetings to, you know, join us and, and um, meet our board. They're really an extraordinary group of people that um, you know, primarily Heather recruited even before I arrived. Um, so just you know, finishing up with some of the current issues and, and challenges that we're focused on, I think COVID has really dramatically changed um, our work um, because you know, so much activity around homelessness has, um, has been really um, structured around preventing the transmission of COVID and preventing um, you know, serious, serious complications for people experiencing homelessness who have, you know, who are older, who have serious medical problems. And, um, and it's just kind of thrown things like, you know, where does our van go and why just completely up in the air. And so I think, 
Um, it's going to be, you know, a big question for us is going to be how do we want to design services post-COVID? What are the things that we've learned about during the COVID pandemic that we want to continue? Um, what are the things that, you, that are going to need to change? Um, I think uh, for me, you know, really making our consumer-led governance real. I think um, what, I've, what I, you know, felt, I think, from, from the outside of this recent, you know, process that's happened with the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Trustees is, is a real need for more patient voice, I think, as you highlighted, um, Trustee Dong, in those conversations. And I think that's going to take a lot of support for people to understand this level of complexity, to participate in it, and, uh, and I think that's going to be really crucial for any effort to achieve health equity, that, that our patients are um, strongly represented um, and that they're, they're supported to really participate in a way where they can, they can make their opinions known and listen to, you know, and provide, provide direction to us. Um, so that's something that, you know, I think Heather and I take really, really seriously and want to make sure is part of, uh, part of, part of what, what we're, you know, what our role is within Alameda Health System. And then I think we have these two new data systems that have been implemented over the last year that I think are tremendous assets in Care Connect, which is the you know county um, community health record, and Epic here. And uh, I think it gives us you know the potential. I think we have yet to realize it to really understand a lot more and get a lot more real time intelligence about what's happening, and to drive you know not just not just operational and you know clinical care issues, but also potentially to participate in public health and policy change initiatives um, that, that improve the health of the population. And so I'm really looking forward to digging into that data and kind of connecting it with our health equity and consumer-led governance work to, to drive change. Dr. Francis, thank you for that excellent report. And uh, I love this side, cause slide because it sort of anticipates what I always ask presenters, name your top concerns and you, ma'am, you already knew it. Trustees, do, do you have any questions for either um, Ms. McDonald-Fine or Dr. Francis? Um, the, the, these guys are doing the work of why we are here. So I, uh, yeah. I, I had a I comment. Oh, uh, uh, Jeanette, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, quick question um, for either, uh, either staff. Um, if you were to look at the 4,800 approximately unduplicated patients, where, how would you describe the geography of their encampments from the county? Where, so, where are they from? Um, so I, I can let Heather, um, she has some of the data on that. But I think the main thing to understand is most of that population is people who would be defined as HRSA homeless, but not HUD homeless. Got so it. we have, you know, I think a lot of work to do to make our system more accessible to people who are living on the streets and in shelters. Um, we are seeing a lot of folks, and it's another important population, who are in really unstable situations, you know, doubled up, living on someone's couch. And that's really the majority of the, home, of the homeless population that we see. They wouldn't be counted at all in the HUD system of care. So they're not really living in, in encampments. Um, okay. Heather, I don't know if you have anything to add based on the recent analysis you've done with our new registry. No, you, you, you covered it quite well. Thank you. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Trustee Paquette. I was no, trying please to go. see if um, if you could help us define, are they mostly from North County, Mid County, Southern County, Tri-Valley? Highland and Eastmont tend to be the wellness center sites where we see the largest proportion and numbers of people experiencing homelessness. So 
really around um, around North County, you know, in, in Oakland and East Oakland. Um, we definitely do also see people experiencing homelessness at Hayward Wellness Center and at Newark Wellness Center. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the bulk of the population really is is in Oakland and uh, and and gets either specialty services or primary care services at, at Highland and Eastmont. Okay, thank you. Trustee Banerjee, you had a comment. Yeah, and this relates a little bit to both to the um, healthcare for the homeless, but larger too. Um, thank you, um, Dr. Francis, for giving us the racial data over here. I wanted to bring this up during Dr. Swift's uh, presentation too. For the vaccine, we'd really like to get a sense of like what the racial breakup of who's getting the vaccine, who's not, what kind of outreach do we need to do so that we we know um, how that's going. So that would be super helpful. And then also um, in the um, in the policies that we just approved, there was one which was the critical standards of care that again, we had a big discussion at QPSC about the fact that we hope that that policy when it's implemented really takes a very um, uh, racial, uh, has a uh, racial equity lens that is used in, in the implementation of that policy. So again, circling back, um, Mr. Jackson, I hope both of these will be uh, th this kind of uh, aggregate uh, racial data will be available to us uh, in future. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Um, uh, Trustee Esteem. Um, considering all the changes that may come, all the, the ways that we need to increase access for behavioral health care for our population, how are uh, patients getting access to behavioral health care through your FQs? So the, um, the current structure of uh, behavioral health care within the, the health center is really primarily through integrated primary care. So we have, you know, uh, some behavioral health access within the clinics. For example, the clinic I practice at is um, is the adult immunology clinic at, at Highland Campus, and we have a licensed clinical social worker on staff there. We can make referrals, and she can do brief therapy and also connect people to the Beacon Network, you know, for outpatient services, um, you know, primarily primarily within the the Medicaid sort of networks or the Medi-Cal networks. Um, so that's really the major the major access point, I think. It's a critical gap. Uh, I mean, critical. There's there's no way we would manage any physical health issues with that sort of gap, the way that we do the epidemiology of behavioral health issues. Um, and so I think we're you know it, we're just very very far from parity um, in terms of thinking about actually having the resources we need to deal with the issues that we have. And so I'm 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 glad that you all are talking about engaging in you know, the, the conversation about the IOP, because I think that, you know, we've heard a presentation on our co-applicant board about that and are really interested in figuring out ways that we can um, can beef up the services that we offer because the, the epidemiology is lots and lots of substance use, lots and lots of depression, lots and lots of anxiety. And the reality of what we have to provide, you know, against those needs is, is not anywhere close to, to what we deserve to have, what our community deserves to have. Right. I, I do invite you to join us in the discussion of what is to come after IOP and how we get closer to parity, which I know funding parity is important. But as we think about design and implementation, we need to hear from all the providers and stakeholders who are seeing this day in and day out. I appreciate that. 
Yeah. And I'll share with my ambulatory colleagues because I, I know there are, there are several who, um, who are very interested in that. Um, to Ms. McDonald Fine and Dr. Francis, thank you for that, for that presentation. I'll end with uh, a question. Um, what do you need from this board of trustees to help you be successful? Oh, an open mind and, you know, and thoughtful attention. Uh, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's, that'll be, that'll be really helpful. Um, and, you know, and, and, and readiness to really hear from our, um, from our consumer board um, and, and, and to, you know, and to be challenged by them. Um, I think, you know, if we're going to do better for patients, it means doing better, which means doing different, you know? <laughs> and so um, hopefully they have recommendations for us that are a little bit hard to hear and that, and that challenge us to do better. Okay. We, we, we all collectively appreciate you too. Um, thank you so much. With that, uh, everyone, we will close item F1 um, and we will uh, come into item F2, uh, the approval of EBMG President Dr. Chitra Akhilaswaran. Um, uh, this will be introduced by Dr. Ghassan Jamaluddin, who's the current interim president for the East Bay Medical Group, as well as our chief medical officer. Dr. J, the floor is yours. Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. Uh, so uh, I have shared uh, the CV of uh, Dr. Achilles Warren. Uh, so I, I want to make sure, do you hear me, Traf? Do you hear me? Okay, good. So I have shared the CV uh, and the job description. Uh, we have worked with the board of director of EBMG about uh, the job description and what it needs for the president uh, to be successful. So as we continue this journey, uh, we, uh, we, we interviewed and we voted unanimously for Dr. Shitra Akhiliswaran. Uh, Dr. Akhiliswaran is a board-certified obstetrics gynecologist and is currently the vice chair of obstetrics gynecology at Alameda Health System. She has been on the staff for uh, about five and a half years. Uh, at AHS, she has been overseeing ambulatory operation for OBGYN, over the last year, she has led efforts to double clinic volumes, reduce no-show uh, rates by 50%, implement team-based care, and provide innovative routes for our patients to access care. Uh, she previously worked at McKinsey & Company. She received her undergraduate degree from Brown University, an MD from Harvard Medical School, an MBA from Harvard Business School. Uh, she is a mother of an 18-month uh, son, and uh, she also uh, was uh, a co-founder of a venture-backed digital health company called the Cleo, which allows a uh, working family to access health care and support towards better maternal, infant, and pediatric health. Uh, she had helped the business and, uh, and build a team and run operation for the first three years uh, of, of, of this company. So I'm very, very proud that she has accepted to do uh, to do the president role, and uh, I think uh, Shitra is available for to make comments or answer any question that the board might have. Uh, thank you, Dr. J. Trustees, uh, Dr. Kilswan's in the room. She's uh, they're smiling with an 18-month-old, not crying. I don't think that's impressive. <laughs> um, trustees, do you have any questions of Dr. Kilswan? Welcome. I, I think some of us have had the opportunity to zoom in with her, and um, I myself have, and uh, obviously I was impressed with her as well. Um, uh, Dr. Dong, were you raising your hand? Okay. 
I uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Fox, uh, Trustee Fox. Maybe please. taking a page from your book, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, what are the biggest uh, uh, challenges facing EBMG right now? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to address uh, this board and uh, to everyone that's on this call. Um, Maybe I'll take a step back and kind of tell you a little bit more about how I came to the role in the first place in order to illustrate what I see as the biggest challenges. Um, you know, I, I've been at AHS as, as um, uh, Dr. Jamaladeen mentioned for about five and a half years now, very committed to the system. And I, I came here for probably reasons similar to my colleagues, which is that I wanted to live my mission as a safety net provider, but also be able to maintain a relationship to my other adjacent professional and personal interests. and. Um, you know, this came in the form of being an entrepreneur, and um, and that wasn't what I intended out of my career, but it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And I learned so much about building teams, um, being accountable to investors and boards, um, and also, uh, most importantly, how to build a culture and set values that matter across a team's uh, success. So um, I came back to AHS as a leader about two years ago. Um, when Kevin Smith took the role as chair, and I'm very grateful for, to him for that, for that opportunity. Um, and uh, I was really excited to be able to apply some of these lessons as a departmental leader, um, including just uh, streamlining our staffing, restructuring some of our ambulatory access points, um, and really up-leveling our ability to bring the financial and the operational and um, our patient outcomes together as one. And so that's sort of what the work that we've been doing over the last two years, um, and equity has been a big lens across all of that, which I, I very much value. Um, so when I was approached for this role, um, I understandably had a lot of questions. Um, I know that this, um, the merger that occurred was challenging in many, many ways. And I, I thank Dr. Jamaladeen for help ushering that through. Ultimately, I believe that there is so much potential in this, in this medical group. Um, I, I think that this, is, uh, this provides the opportunity for our providers, our physicians in particular, to be much more aligned with the health system. Um, and I've seen um, what really powerful med medical groups can do in terms of driving patient outcomes and really driving value for the system, including um, financial value. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that if we can harness the commitment of providers um, you know, that already exists um, and really um, bring them into the fold towards a shared vision that um, there's, there's real opportunities here to, um, to create a really transformational change for our patients and also for our system in terms of sustainability and solvency. Um, so I think, you know, in, to me, there's, there's some immediate issues to, to address um, uh, that will probably take, I would imagine, the first 12 months or so. Um, because this is a new organization, there's a lot to define. And I would say defining the legal, um, financial, governance of this organization is going to be my top um, priority over the next 12 months. Um, and specifically the relationship to AHS, given that it's new um, and that those, um, those boundaries haven't necessarily been fully flushed out. Um, I think in tandem to that, uh, it's, it's going to be very important to set the culture, um, the mission and vision of this organization. I believe that it'll be very similar to AHS's, but given that our constituents are slightly different, um, that we may, uh, you know, have have aspects of that that are that are specific to, to the organization. 
Um, and I think that will help with really mobilizing providers that are already very, very engaged. I mean, when we sign on to um, EBMG board meetings, you know, there are routinely 50, 60 providers that have signed on taking time out of their days, their schedules to be um, privy to, to what's happening with the organization. And I think the third, which follows with all of this is just building trust um, and finding that low hanging fruit um, again, immediately if possible to, to help do that. Um, so those those are sort of the, the things that I see as important. At this is this a financially integrated group? In other words, are revenue shared or are physicians salaried or is it like eat what you kill? I, I kind of hate that expression, but I know doctors know what it means. Um, how, how does that work? Well, how is it set up? I might let Dr. Jamalani take the first so, um, at that. So uh, uh, thank you, Trustee Fox. Thank you, Dr. Akeliswaran. So it is, uh, uh, it, is uh, it employs physicians. We, uh, we work uh, closely uh, with uh, HS uh, legal and finance about, uh, about uh, the physician uh, uh, sort of employment, but it's self-governed by, by a board, which is wholly subsidiary, of Alameda Health System. So in the future state, uh, Dr. Achilles Warren as president will be sitting on the ELT committee, will be giving report regularly to this board. Uh, and uh, the, there are committees, we have finance uh, committee, we have compensation committee, we have HR committees that will work uh, along with AHS about incentivization. Uh, when we look at the at the collection of the professional billing of uh, our patients uh, from Medi-Cal and Health Pack, uh, it doesn't it doesn't cover the cost of the physician. So we we have to work with AHS, you know, in terms of uh, getting the funds and 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 uh, especially as it relates to the to the, to the uh, supplemental funds. However, our future state will be to have shared risk and to become a population health management. Uh, system and and have uh, the physician incentivized by by building resilience in the community and and uh, increasing productivity and increasing the quality and patient safety. So it will be a shared uh, sort of risk and shared vision with AHS. I hope I answered the question, but I think as we move forward, we'll be giving more reports to this board about where we are. And uh, and we'll be able to answer more more or clarify more the relationship between the East Bay Medical Group and AHS and our strategic uh, uh, planning. Thank you, Dr. J. Trustees, any other questions before we entertain a motion? Chitra, I have a question, uh, Dr. Kilsworn. Do you feel resource for success? I think that there's still to be determined what resources are required to do this job well. Um, I think the main things that I'm uh, working on are um, time um, and uh, and then eventually um, wanting to ensure that there is some ability to um, determine budget for the purpose of staffing appropriately um, this organization. So um, it's something that is an active conversation right now. That's a very thoughtful answer. I didn't hear a yes, and I that so you so there you go. What do you need from this uh, trustees to for, to enact your vision for success? 
Um, I realize that this is a position that is sitting in the midst of, of various stakeholders that may be at slightly in slightly different um, you know points of view. Uh, the board of trustees here, the EBMG board, our patients, um, you know, other staff and providers at AHS, um, and certainly the provider constituents of EBMG. Um, I, I do see more similarities and differences amongst those groups, um, but I want uh, I, I really want to approach this position with candor. Um, and honesty because there's a lot of um, sort of past that needs to be unpacked and healed in order to move on. Um, so I would really prefer and 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 like to have be able to have honest conversations with you all and hope that um, we have the chance to do that in, uh, individually or together. That's the way it should be. We, we appreciate you on that. Barring any other comments um, or questions for Dr. Achilles Foran, I don't see any trustees nodding in the affirmative. May I entertain a motion to approve Dr. Chitra Achilles Foran as the president of the East Bay Medical Group. I'll move. I move approval. Um, uh, I'll, we'll go for a roll call, Madam Clerk. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Trustee Splendoria. Yes. We have a motion. Motion's approved. Dr. Achilles Warren, congratulations. Welcome to uh, your presidency. Be careful what you wish for, right? Um, thank you for, for your presentation. With that, we will close item F2. And those are the formal agenda items. There are staff reports. I'll take a moment here to offer any trustees uh, comments or questions with regard to items G1 through G6, man, there's a lot of reading there uh, that was to be done. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And uh, any, uh, this is opportunity for trustees to ask staff any questions in that regard. For those of us who sit on the finance committee, I, I wanna give, uh, of course, props to our CFO, as well as our VP of Revenue Cycle, Terry Manifesto for the Rev Cycle update. And for, for our public and our, our, our stakeholders, uh, uh, we have now published a price transparency, which is available on our website. So pricing for this, this service versus that, I, I'm gonna tell you, uh, we, were, we were meeting regulatory compliance. It was a heavy lift to do this. So um, uh, to uh, our CFO and our VP of Revenue Cycle, uh, uh, again, I'm gonna reiterate appreciation. For uh, audience members, just go to Google and type in price transparency, Alameda Health System. It'll probably put you right to the right landing space on our webpage. Trustees, any other comments with regard to any of the staff reports? Barring none, we're about to enter, we will, we will close out item G. Uh, we're about to enter into closed session. Um, that, that's the formal agenda. Of course, we come out of closed session and can make comments if, as necessary. There are no um, anticipated action items and we're anticipating a closed session on the order of no more than 30 minutes. That's what we're anticipating. So, um, uh, council? Uh, yeah, the uh, closed over the items is set forth in the agenda. Sure. So thank you to, our, to the audience. If you're here, when we come back, we'll see you. <laughs>